Please follow along in Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him, who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. Who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip? For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought into us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let the men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals. With the smoke of the sacrifice of rams, I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer and removed or removed his steadfast love from me. The word of the Lord. Go on up. Uh, good morning. Uh, I have the the privilege of introducing Morgan to you this morning. Many of you already know uh, Morgan and his wife Tammy and their family. Uh, Morgan has entered the eldership process here uh, at the Painted Door, uh, which we're excited about him in that candidacy. And uh, we have the privilege this morning of hearing him uh, preach the word of God to us and share what God has been placing on his heart. So, Morgan. I uh, forgot to mention that I'm a two-time elder candidate. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like being a second-year senior. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I'm just learning how to preach here, so be merciful. Uh, <clears throat> so, to be completely honest, I am terrified uh, ah, geez. <laughs> I'm scared of being weak uh, before all of you. Uh, I'm scared of being anything other than weak before all of you. Um, and if I've done anything... Jeez. <laughs> if I have wronged any of you, or if there's any mistrust of me, uh, please bring your concerns uh, to the elders. Um, or directly to me. I am a not, I'm not an outgoing kind of guy. Uh, fellowship in groups like this church have been odd for me my whole life. And when I do get cornered, I can be incredibly tactless. 
and even though I am learning to die to self uh, and live for you, I don't doubt there's been some misunderstanding uh, and hurt feelings. Um, so if it concerns me, uh, or anyone else for that matter, I urge you to confess any wrongs that you have counted. Uh, the healing of conscience and the renewal of mind available in confession and forgiveness is never one-sided. So extend grace and receive grace in that way. It is ever available to you through faith and for faith. The designs of Satan for our relationships and this community and every community of faith is unforgiveness to keep us separate, to keep us wounded, looking inward, to not grow up in the freedom we have been given. All things of Christ are yours for you to share and receive. So learn and live in them. So, uh, we are in a season of Easter Tide, which is a time of focusing on the resurrection, uh, the victorious re- rescue of Jesus Christ, and the resurrecting Spirit of Christ who has made his home within you and me. It is a season of celebrating the rescue of God, a time of rejoicing in the finished work in life of Christ given to us. But those words, celebrating and rejoicing, have been pretty awkward for us as a church. We have always tried to identify with the hurting, to be present in their suffering. And this is an extremely narrow uh, and difficult line to walk. It is the easiest thing in the world to get lost in suffering, to doubt God in suffering, to have nothing to say in that pain. A glance of our, at our relationships, to the friendships broken, to husbands and wives unloved, to sickness and death that have claimed our loved ones, Celebration seems weird. And to look at our city, to all the violence, violence visiting children in the wombs of their mothers, violence visiting children on our streets at the hands of other children, violence against women, men everywhere enslaved to their own violence, and that's just Chicago. And consider the world, and there is a little to celebrate when your eyes are open. King Solomon wrote, for in much wisdom is much much vexation, and he who increases in knowledge increases sorrow. To celebrate the rescue of Christ with so little proof in the face of this perverted and violent world feels like condescending, head in the clouds, privilege. And let's be honest, Christ is currently a very difficult God to celebrate with. He has declared victory over our enemies, Satan, sin, and death. Yet none of those enemies have been destroyed. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We can easily name our transgressions and our sin is ever before us. And death, death comes to us all. He has declared us perfect. Yet our constant cry is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Living a life of faith under the hands of God, of a God who cuts and heals us in his own good timing. He has given us everything we need for a godly life through faith. Yet who here hasn't gone through seasons of toiling after holiness, 
doing the right thing year after year with nothing to show except exhaustion and bitterness. Indeed, awkward and painful. So how do we understand our rescue? This is a huge question and a confusing question. I, every time I preach, I ask like the biggest questions too. It drives me nuts. <laughs> the tension in this gets to the heart of our experience of faith. This question is often a place of great error. So before we consider the reality of our rescue, let's consider some of our errors. We are often thinking of the salvation in Christ, of the salvation of Christ, under our own terms that are either over-rescued or under-rescued. First, over-rescued. In over-rescue, we exchange the salvation of Christ for religion as the world defines. All day, every day, we demand and settle for cheap results. We want our best life now. We want money and health. We expect worldly fulfillment when God has ordered us to otherworldly contentment. We seek power, power to change laws, to build kingdoms, power to fix the people in our lives, power to fix ourselves. We seek comfort, trying to craft controlled environments of rescue, separation or separation, separation from the mess of life, from the mess of the church, from the mess of loving sinners. We seek our own strength, scoffing at waiting and not having an answer. We'll take the glory and the reward, but we will have none of the cross. And how quickly our sin fabricates our own crosses, renounces the cross of Christ, and calls it piety. Second, under-rescued. In under-rescue, we exchange the sweet things of Christ for law and fear. We'd much rather walk from room to room with a list of rules in our pocket rather than slowly learn the spirit of Christ. We'd much rather keep track than let go. To drink deep from the gospel and pour his unconditional love and all our wounds is too bold. And we are too timid to call his precious and magnificent promises our own. In all of this, we see an insatiable desire for control. And it is terrifying to give up control. So, what is the reality of our rescue? And why all this tension between our victory in Christ and the reality of faith down here in the dirt? Some thoughts. First, everything is hinging on promise. This right here is a constant source of so much tension we see in the scriptures and that we feel in our souls. The faith that we possess is fundamentally hope in the unseen. Simply being aware of Jesus, his name on your lips, fully convinced, or maybe not that convinced, but having nowhere else to go. That God did nowhere else, that God did what he said he did in the life and death of Christ. The promises of God, this timeless God, are the blazing center in our experience of faith. They order everything, and all that we receive are in relation to them. God is a God who promises, and he behaves and relates to us as if those promises are as good as done. Not because of anything we have done or will do, but simply because of our Christ who has pulled us into himself and has made us his own. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. God's own confidence in his own promise is, is, is there, it's thrilling. It's thrilling to see his confidence. Uh, 
in his own word. Um, but it leaves us waiting uh, with open hands and a hoping heart. And this is not new. This type of faith uh, has belonged to every single child of God, from Abraham right down to me and you. Second, uh, the flesh versus spirit. This creates so much tension. Each of us have been crafted by God. He has created our innermost being, knitting us together in our mother's wombs. But we also enter this life through and in a human family that has rejected relationship with God and, under, and, has, and is under his holy anger. We have individual uniqueness and frames from God, mixed with and damaged by our own indwelling sin and the sin of others. All of this begins to unravel when a sinner meets Christ. But even as we live wide open in the healing favor of God, we live in a profound inner conflict of self. This is not some easy dualism, but our bodies, our souls, our minds, experiencing both faith and sin simultaneously. Here is the conflict explained by the Apostle Paul. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. What is important in all of this is that all of you, your whole person belongs to Christ, and he is healing you and bringing you out of your injured self, limping from sin into a new and complete, perfect humanity, his own resurrected flesh and blood. You are not your own. And lastly, through the Spirit of Christ, we are participating in a life already lived for us, All of this struggle and tension, this awkwardness and celebration of rescue, would almost be easier to understand if Christ wasn't so close. But everywhere we look in Scripture, we are one with Christ. I am his. And he is mine. He gives our life. We are saved by his life. Every command he gives, he answers for us. What I can make of it is simply this. We are individually and collectively repeating the life he lived in the Gospels as both fellow heirs with him, but also plain old sinners, meeting him on the dusty path of life. Yes, we have put on his death. Yes, we live out of his resurrection. But ascension to glory is not our next step. The character and experience of faith given to the church is between the incarnation of Christ and the crucifixion of Christ a life of both sorrow and suffering, comfort and healing mingled together, hidden in union with Christ. The gospel life is a march to the cross, but not as earning our own way, but receiving Christ's way. The Apostle Paul again, for just as the the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. So, with the mind of Christ, with eyes of faith, through the lens of the cross, Let us return to Psalm 66 and look for our experience of faith with this Christ and his grace that is out of our control. 
This is a fairly difficult psalm, actually, for me. It was, it's primitive in, in its expression of faith. So let's just jump right in. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. The psalm opens with a universal call for all of creation to bow before her creator, to see him as the author of life, the aim of life, and life itself. His enemies cringe before him, but this we only know by faith. The end of all things will reveal exactly who we've been dealing with, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all the earth worships. Creation is such a great gift and a wonderful place of comfort and learning for the saints. In many ways, nature is beyond us, waiting for us to catch up to what she already knows. The simple righteousness of of the creature to sit and be still and mirror the glory of God. Indeed, Consider the lilies. So come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds towards the children of man. He has turned the seed into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him, who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. Come and see what God has done. Is there a better cry from the heart of faith? We are in the same foolishness that our sharing of the gospel. We just words of life, true words of Christ. And that is all we have. And that is the saving power of God. Here, the psalmist recalls Israel's redemption from Egypt. But we recall the spectacle of the cross that disarmed the rulers and authorities of evil and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. And this message is for all people. And this God has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. This type of keeping and securing is our only explanation for our faith. Do not settle for lesser explanations. For you, O God, have tested us You have tried us as silver is tried. You have brought us into the net. You have laid a crushing burden on our backs. You have let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water, yet you have brought us out into the place of abundance. This is the experience of faith in the overflow of Christ's suffering humanity. The resurrecting, rescuing spirit of Christ is ever concerned with returning us to the cross of Christ. And he does this most often through repentance and discipline. Our relationship with him is not static. When we sin, we hurt. But even what we mean for evil, Christ uses for our good. Putting to death the works of sin in our lives is the chief tool by which everyday, normal Christians, like you and me, share in the sufferings of Christ. Repentance and discipline do to our sinful self what our sin did to the flesh of Christ dragging and tearing. 
we often put the sharing in Christ's sufferings into a category unattainable to working stiffs or the homeschooling mom with her 11-year-old daughter. It is not something grand. It can be, but the vast majority of it is hidden, and it is beautiful to God. And it is common. We all share because of our intimate union with Christ. So learn to love his hand in your life, and he is for you, and he is not against you. So I will come to your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering in bulls and goats. Here is the gift of obedience. We see the shadow within the rituals of Israel that have been fully revealed in Christ. By the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Out from and held within Christ's once-for-all sacrifice on the cross, we have ever-present access to Christ to love and serve him in word and deed, to adore him and ponder his way. And he is pleased with all of you in all of this. We are so often stuck wondering and overthinking and overdoubting when our Heavenly Father is smiling. Come and hear all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would have not listened. But truly God has listened, and he has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. This is the joy of obedience, in and through faith, obedience that is not my own, but the very life of Christ within me. Lose yourself in the Christ that is for you so that you can begin to notice the Christ that is within you. Understand his intercession. Initiates and sustains every single moment of grace. Every heartbeat of your faith is the heartbeat of Christ and his love, only his steadfast love, is our explanation. So, are we a privileged people in this rescue of Christ? Oh, most definitely. But learn this privilege, this unspeakable glory, not for a celebration of haughtiness, but a celebration of mercy for any and everyone who will have it. And how do we bear the awkwardness and the pain? Search out the love of God in Christ and you will not find it wanting. Learn the promises of God. The promises of Scripture are like a choir of angels singing to us. All is yes in him. Believe and live. They beckon us to Christ. They prod our unbelief. They give us rest in their beauty. Are you doubting this? Cry out to him. Speak to him like he's a God who knows you better than anyone else, because he does. Speak to him incessantly, 
and tell him everything. Christ above is counting all our tears and gathering all our prayers. Know your faith. To have faith is to have the presence of Christ, and he is haunting you, finding you, calling you, saving you, befriending you, teaching you, and always, always loving you, and love casts out fear and hope. The day is coming when our experience of Christ's crucified humanity will be traded for his resurrected humanity, glorious and free, eternally swimming in the divine life of God. So speak Christ to yourself and this dying world all day and every day. All of this, the free and the costly, the gentle and the agony, the crucifixion and the resurrection belong to the life of Jesus Christ, who is saving us by his life. The faith, the faith of the whole church is the one life of Christ, moving in and around sinners, opening our mouths to awaken others to him, maturing us in him. Your obedience to God will never, ever, ever outpace receiving from God. Christ is the beginning and the end of all Christian experience. Uh, let us pray. Uh, Father, oh, you are good, Lord. Uh, and send us Christ uh, here and now. Uh, let us receive him and see him for who he is. Uh, thank you for this church uh, and these people. Uh, just be with us, Father. In your precious name, amen.